I had the opportunity to get a little bit of heads up on this announcement, and then I was over in the fellowship hall whenever it was played during the IF conference yesterday and was able to immediately stand up afterwards and say, as a church, the bridge, yes, we are all in on this. And, and I want to share a little bit before we jump into where we'll be with the parable of the prodigal son about why I think this is so crucial at such a time as this. First of all, Jesus prayed the night that he was betrayed in John 17 that all believers would be one. And there is a lot of division. There are so many walls in the world. There always have been, and sadly, this side of heaven, there always will be. But what would happen if 2.5 billion people who say, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord and King, gather together from every continent and every denomination to lift him on high? Jesus said of himself in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So we don't know what that looks like other than we're in. And we want to invite all of you to be in. And we're looking at like, okay, within our community, within our neighborhoods, uh, within our schools, within our churches in this area, what does it look like for there to be that single focus of saying, Jesus, you came, you saved, you healed, you transformed, and you're continually doing that. And we want the other 5.5 billion people in the world to know that truth and know that reality as well. Um, because revival and awakening are things that are happening. Um, I was a little late to the party, and I forgot exactly what month it was, but uh, finally got to watch the Jesus Revolution movie with my family. Um, I was familiar with the history. I had read the book even before, but I'll never forget it, and I forgot if it was my daughter or my son. Uh, but whenever the revival really began to break out there, there was just kind of this moment where there were just lots of baptisms and lots of healings. And, uh, you know, one of them asked me, they're like, Hey, Dad, do you ever hope that happens? I just looked and said, probably every single day of my life. You see, the invitation for us to ask more of what God wants to do is there. He is not unwilling. He is willing and ready and able. And he proves that when he's talking to some rather crusty religious people at the beginning of Luke 15 that kind of think that they are the ones that are in the right and everybody else is in the wrong. And I love how Shay shared that people are going to hurt you. But then she said, but I thought for a moment that maybe God also hurt me. And then I began to realize it wasn't, it wasn't God. 
And I think that what's interesting, whether you're going to identify more this morning in the younger brother or the older brother, there's a hero in this story, and it's the father. And the father, Jesus, proves, loves both the younger and the older with a fierce love that is willing to recklessly pursue them both. What stands in the way? Well, you, you, you stand in the way if, if you feel like you need to either run away from your father like the younger one did, or you feel like somehow you have earned and become entitled to the father's love like the older one did. And on any given moment, in any given day, sometimes in any given hour, this guy right here can be both. I can run away and then go, God, you didn't give me what I wanted by running away. And then all of a sudden I'm like, let me read my Bible real quick and let me pray and let me share Jesus with somebody. And then I hand up and go, then all of the things should be going well for me because look at how hard I work for you. And the whole time the father says, it's not about how far you run away from me or how hard you work for me. To either run away from my love or to attempt to earn my love. What I want you to know more than anything else is you have been gifted my love because you're mine. And that's it. And that's all the reason that our Heavenly Father our creator God who becomes our savior God needs in order to love us. And much the same way for those of you who are gifted, blessed to be parents, and your kid comes up to you and you say, well, mom, dad, have I done enough to earn your love? It's like, there's no earning here. You are loved by me because you are mine. The Pharisees forgot that. The tax collectors forgot that. The younger son forgot that or thought that he didn't want that and then realized eventually what well, he, was, he was gifted it. He was graced with it. And the older one, we're not sure. Luke chapter 15, beginning, I'm actually going to read verses 1 and 2 and then we're going to jump to verse 11. Let's see how we do here. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You catch just the spatial language that Luke says there? The tax collectors and sinners are drawing near, and the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling, and they're staying distanced. And then in verse 11, and he said, being Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was wanting to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, and thank you for your call to remind us today to Invite us by your Holy Spirit to reimagine our reality because we so often believe lies and you lead us to truth. Truth that we are loved more than we could ever comprehend through your son Jesus. Help us to receive and embrace that reality this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A very familiar passage of scripture. I think it was Charles Dickens that said once that this is the greatest story ever told in short story literature. It tugs on all the heartstrings and it is a reality for all of us whether we run away mentally or we run away physically. There is this tension that we feel and struggling to recognize God 
loves us. He really, really loves us. So, because we didn't think we either need God's love or didn't believe God's love, God sends Jesus down to earth to be the revelation and perfect description and reality and, and verbal action and of God's love. And the wild thing is there are, this is the, the chapter of lost things. And the first one, remember, there's, nine, uh, there's 100 sheep and 99 get back. And what does the shepherd do? He goes after the one that's lost. And guys, a 99% on a test is a very strong A. But Jesus is perfect. And Jesus wants to make sure there will not be a single one that is missing from my fold. And when one gets lost, I will go to every length possible to get the one back. Only 1% missing, and there's rejoicing and celebration. Then there's the woman with the 10 coins, 10% missing. One of the 10 is missing, and she does everything she can to pursue that coin, to look for that coin, to search for that coin, and she finds it, and then there's celebration. And now with the father, with the two sons, some have interpreted this parable as 50% missing. But perhaps it's actually 100% missing. That your proximity to church, your proximity to Bible knowledge, your proximity to religious moral living does not necessarily mean you are one with the heart of your heavenly father. It makes sense that religious people are ticked off or have a hard time with this story. After all, if you have sought to be religious and moral, you want a payout for your hard work at some point. And this does not seem fair. If you believe that you are okay, if you believe that you can contribute anything to your salvation, and you have in your mind contributed to your salvation, this story will slap you in the face. And perhaps, in some ways, that's the very point of the story. But let's spend a little bit of time on the younger brother, and then we'll spend a little bit more time on the older brother today. What happens with the younger brother? Dad, give me. Give me. Y'all just catch that right there. Give me. How many of you and your kids have probably done it before, but maybe they come to you with a tone like that, give me, and you as a parent say, hey, uh, wait, wait, let's try that again. Let's use some different words here because that really sounds a lot like entitlement. You know, give me dinner is a little bit different than give me my inheritance 
now. What do we know about an inheritance? An inheritance is granted to people after the person who once owned it dies. This younger son in vernacular, common vernacular is saying, Dad, I've been really patient. And I have waited very long for you to die. And you are taking too doggone long. So I want it now. I can't wait any longer. I don't want you. I want your stuff. And I'm bold enough to come and tell you that. And guys, to do this in this culture to a father and honor and shame and respect for authorities and respect for elders, this dad could have smacked him, disowned him, imprisoned him, kicked him out of everything. The wild thing is, the dad says, okay. And he divided his property among the two of them. Free will. That there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to hear, don't eat of this fruit. But there is no force field that keeps them from going up and touching it and eating it. So he gets what he wants. And it's crazy, it says, not many days later. This dude, he runs in a haste. He got what he wanted. It's almost like he runs away before maybe the dad might change his mind. He's like, I'm out. I got my stuff. I'm good to go. He gathers all he has and takes a journey into a far country. Um, I'm at that point in parenting where my kids at 16, I'm, I'm realizing that college Moving out of the house is not that far away, and I start to get choked up a little bit when I think about that. And that's leaving for a good reason. This is not leaving for a good reason. And I think it's important that we get into the heart a bit of this father. And what he's experiencing is he's looking back Letting the son do what the son has decided to do as he packs up his stuff and heads out. It's a far country. He's getting as far away as possible. And there he squanders his property and reckless living. He's going to live it up. And when he had spent everything, verse, what is that? Uh, 14, when he had spent everything. Guys, if you have hit any kind of rock bottom in your life, consider that actually a severe mercy of God. He loves you. That God loves this younger son so much that he will not let the younger son succeed forever in sinful living. He runs out of money. 
he begins to be in need. We need to actually come to grips with the fact, and some of this is just our American culture, some of it is just our own personal pride, that it is not a bad thing to be in need. Because actually, we all are in need. So there are people who are in need and realize they're in need, and then there are people who are in need but don't think that they are in need, when we're all in need. But what's he do? He's not ready to go home yet. He knows he kind of like closed that door. So he goes and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that area and he begins to feed pigs as a Jewish young man, the most unclean animal that there is. This is a rock bottom of rock bottoms and he's so hungry that he's considering eating the slop that the pigs eat, but no one will give him anything. And at that point, the miracle happens. Um, Boshe and Natalie talked about just people that hurt them. And um, we've all had that, right? I've had that too. And when I think about the people who have hurt me most deeply, some intentional, perhaps, some unintentional. I get to a certain place where I begin to realize, wait, there's only one who is the faithful friend. There is only one who sticks closer than a brother. There is only one who will never leave me or forsake me. There is only one who always has my best interest at heart. Only one. And when I attempt to put any other human relationship on some kind of pedestal that attempts to make them be Jesus for me, I have committed worship of someone other than the true king. This younger son is worshiping a lifestyle a persona, an idea of how he can get happiness. And then it says in verse 17, he came to himself. Guys, image really matters and identity and how we think of ourselves. But I think the beauty of this is Jesus describes salvation as coming to your real self. That anything that you would experience as an unsaved person apart from God is is not your real self. It's not your true identity. And then all of a sudden, he comes to himself. But even as he comes to himself, he asks this great question. My father's hired servants are taken better care of than me. But then he begins to work on his penance speech. And he plans on doing actions to make up for the sins that he has committed. You ever done that before? Completely blown it. And when you hit rock bottom, you go, okay, God, I know I'm sorry, but I know sorry isn't enough. So in addition to sorry, I will never watch TV again. And I will be in church all the time. And I will only read the Bible. And I will love everybody, even that person I don't like at all. And then maybe you'll forgive me. 
and I'll earn my way back. It's a great speech. I think it's the best of intentions, but do you catch the fact that you're, you're still trying to save yourself with such a speech? Because you want to do it yourself? Because, you know, if somebody does it all for you, then you, you may owe them something. He's right, though. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. If you can't get to that place in your life and heart, then you cannot receive the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. If you do not realize that your mistakes have been more than anything else treason against God, your creator, you are not saved. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true, actually. But it doesn't have anything to do with your worthiness. It has everything to do with God's worthiness, his holiness, his character, his love. So he wants to be one of the hired servants. You know, the hired servants don't live in the house, actually. They actually live somewhere else, and they go and they work for the father. So he rises, he goes, and why is still a long way off. The father sees him. Guys, for every one step you take toward God, he takes a hundred toward you, maybe a thousand, maybe a million. He's looking for you. And he's waiting for you by way of the Holy Spirit to come to yourself and then he's going to run to you. There's a lot of thoughts on why the father is running. One thought is he's just simply excited and overcome to see his son again. But secondly, there's some even Old Testament law that says if you dishonor your father like this, that even the community if they see you coming, can take up stones and throw them at you. That the father is actually perhaps running toward the son to protect the son from the shame that may be coming the son's way. When he finally gets to him, he grabs him and the son starts his speech, but I don't think he was ready for the hug, the kiss, and all the other stuff. But the son is still trying. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And all of a sudden, the father, who's not even listening at all, says to the servant, quick, give him the best robe. This is the father's robe. Guys, this dude is coming home in rags. He's dirty. He stinks, and he needs a covering. He needs a covering of his father's righteousness because he's ugly. And the father covers over not just his nakedness and sin, but also his shame. Sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, the family ring. When the family ring goes on this boy's finger, he is a son again. There is no thought for one minute that the father would accept anything other than he's my boy, he always has been, 
he always will be. And there are people in a group this size and in our congregation that have wayward children that are off in some far country. And I have heard moms and dads talk about their wayward children. And you know what I hear from them? I just want them home. I don't care where they've been. I don't care what they've done. I just want them home. It's your father in heaven, even more than your earthly parents, just wants you to come home. And maybe you're wayward. Maybe you have feel like you have gone too far. You've done too many things wrong. You know what your heavenly father wants? He just wants you to come home. And you take one step and you own your sin. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm coming home. And he's going to run toward you. And then he's going to throw you a party. It's wild. It's crazy. But he explains why. My son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Part two, the older son. Chances are, if you grew up in church and didn't stray very far from church, you go, yep, you know what, when somebody comes back, I'm like, I know what I should feel. I know I should be really, really happy about that. But there's a part of me that goes, really? What's up with this older son? He comes and he hears music and dancing. But he doesn't call his father. He calls one of the servants to find out what's going on. And then it says he's angry and refuses to go in. He boycotts the party. Where is his anger directed? I think it's twofold. One, I don't think he cares about his brother much. The brother's been gone a long time. And two, he questions the character and the rightness of the father in this situation. So what's the father do? He goes to his son. He initiates reconciliation with this brother. And look at the brother's tone. I have never disobeyed you. Before that, I have served you. Some translations say I have slaved. I have been slaving for you, dad. Doesn't sound like a very healthy relationship. Resentment can sneak in really, really easily. That's why I talked a few weeks ago about when we're talking about righteousness, we need to do the right thing for the right reason in the right way with the right people. And when you feel resentment come in, when I feel resentment come in, I need a fresh awakening of all that God has done for me, that he's thrown me a party. And the party is for everybody. He didn't get a young goat. His brother got a fattened calf. His classic keeping score thing, right? Anybody ever kept score 
marriage relationship, parenting relationship, it's amazing how a little bitty argument can cause my memory to really kick in. And I remember things that people did like 12 years ago with like this clear, to, to win my case. And then in verse 30, the father, you see, did not disown either son, but this brother has disowned his brother. Verse 30, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, this Greek word for son, I had to read about this, is dearest son. It is the most affectionate word that the father could choose in how he refers to his son. You're always with me. The father's always with the son, but the son is not always with the father in heart. So there's this invitation to come home, to go to the party. Neither son was at the party at the beginning of the story. But at the end of the story, one son gets the party and the other one boycotts the party. If you pay really close attention, you'll discover that this parable does not have an ending. I got to teach it to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders at Evangelical and I asked them, okay, guys, how would you finish this story? What happens? You know, it's interesting. Some, in their righteous anger, or maybe they just want to be funny, say, oh, that older brother, he went in and he beat up his younger brother for all of the nights that the father had sleepless nights and, you know, popped all the balloons and just... Destroyed the party. That's an option. Some people think uh, he, just, he just stayed outside boycotting. There were a couple girls in a sixth grade class that it was crazy. They kind of wrote a similar thing and then shared it with me at the end. I said that maybe the older son asked for his share of the inheritance and went and packed up everything he could and did the exact same thing and squandered it all in wild living and then eventually came to himself and went home and wondered, will the father accept me the same way the father accepted my younger brother? That was very profound. And I thought also the reality of that is, yes, the father would accept the older brother the exact same way. What's this parable supposed to teach us? If you are one who says, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord and my King, you're at a party. And the question is, is the party for every man, woman, boy, and girl in every continent and every country and every language? Or is this an exclusive party by which you want to invite who you like, who you agree with, or is it for everybody? If it's for everybody, that's the point. Then whether you are 
way off in the far country or you meet someone that's way off in the far country or you have been at home but not really in line with your father's heart, the invitation is to come home. You know, one thing about hitting rock bottom, when you really hit rock bottom, really, you can't deny it. So perhaps it's harder for a really good religious person to accept the fact that they need Jesus than someone that completely blows it. We all need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are faithful and good and kind and your mercy endures forever. Your love never, ever fails. Help us, Father, to rejoice and be glad. Help us to realize the times when we get lost, that you're the one who can find us and bring us back again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As part of uh, introducing this final song, um, Tim Keller wrote a book called Prodigal God that I do recommend to any of you that want to dive in a little deeper to this parable. It's a short book, but it's powerful. And uh, in that culture and in that day, if this would ever happen where a younger son says, give me my share of the inheritance, and then they take off, that Tim Keller says the role in the family structure is that the older brother would look at the father and say, Father, I'll go find him, and I'll bring him home. So Tim Keller, at the end of the book, talks a little bit about how Sadly, this younger brother prodigal didn't have the kind of brother that all of us need. He didn't have a brother that said, at great expense and at great cost to myself, I will throw my agenda for my life completely away and have a single pursuit of bringing my brother home. I said, so one reason why this story never ends and the parable is because Jesus is that elder brother who said, I at great expense and cost to myself will make sure that all of my younger brothers and sisters have opportunity to get safely home. He's holy, he's mighty, he's other, and you're never gonna experience a love like his. So if your love has gone cold, if you've become complacent, if it no longer brings you to tears or moves you, all that God has done for you, you have an invitation today to come to yourself. We should be moved. And when we're not, we should say, God, please help me because this should move me. This should change me. And you know what happens then? The Holy Spirit gets inside. And the Holy Spirit begins to remind you and I just how good it is. And we arise. And we begin to make that journey home. And then the Father runs to us. The Father ran to the younger. But the Father also ran to the older. 
when he looked out and saw that his older son was not at that party, he went out to entreat him to come home. So let's come home today. Spirit to come and, and do what we can, right? And to get us all the way home. So you could be not very far away from home, or you could be really far away. And it doesn't matter how far away you are, as long as you're headed home. So in these moments and in this time of response, as we sing this song, whatever that looks like for you to get home, and uh, you can just tell God where you are. I want to come home. You can come forward and, and pray. You can talk to another brother or sister about just wanting to get home. But don't leave this place without getting home.
repeated phrase in the Bible says, your love endures forever. And because of Jesus, there is no separation. There is no condemnation. And one of the things that, that amazes me is this older brother, he tries to throw shame on the younger brother. But the father covers the younger brother's shame with his robe. And uh, you are loved by a God who covers over your shame and your guilt. And he not only loves you, he likes you, okay? He likes you. And he wants to spend time with you. Um, I have a lot of rhythms I do before a church service and Sometimes some things look similar, some things look different, but um, this morning before church, I just sat down and my dad asked how I was doing. I'm like, you come in and just, just want to sit and talk for a little while. Had nothing to do with going over the outline again. Just wanted to be with my dad. Your dad in heaven wants to be with you, just wants to be with you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to earn your way there. Just wants to sit beside you, the party. And guys, when that happens, then this whole thing is so much bigger than church I go to and religious rituals I perform. It's a relationship. And it'll change you from the inside out and the outside in all the way across. It's like, it just, it changes you. It transforms you. So if you want to learn more about what that looks like, um, I forget that all the time. And all of you remind me. We need community. We need each other. Shay's totally right. This is a cool building, but it's just that. It's a building. But when God's people come in here to gather, then we remind each other of that. So if you want to learn more about the bridge or just figure out like what next steps might be here, there are these little cards here in the envelope holders. You can throw it in the offering basket on your way out the door. We'll reach out to you. Uh, we love to get to know people and hear your stories. And uh, anyway, let's receive this benediction. God, thank you for doing abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine every day, every minute of our lives. Thank you for covering our shame, forgiving our sin, and throwing us a party. Help us continually come to ourselves, the real reality of who we are and who our Father is. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. Fill us with your love. Teach us how to love each other well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.